think if you can do that in whatever company you're in, you know, longevity will follow you. It'll just be sort of natural that you'll stay going because you'll keep learning and you'll keep growing and you'll keep having amazing new experiences. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Joseph Landis, Chief Revenue Officer at Nerdio, a tech firm that helps manage service providers and enterprises build successful cloud environments in Microsoft Azure and Azure Virtual Desktop. During his time at Nerdio, Joseph has driven the company to grow its product offerings and expand strategic partnerships, bringing innovative Azure solutions to new global enterprises and partners. He has also been recognized the past three years as a channel chief by the Channel Reseller News. Joseph, welcome. It's great to be here, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. Now it's my pleasure. So what is the biggest problem that Nerdio is solving for its clients? You know, we like to say, Carol, that we abstract the complexity. I think when you look at Microsoft Azure, whether you're a managed service provider or an enterprise IT professional, there's just a number of things that are a bit complicated to do. Uh, and we really make the world of Azure much simpler, much easier, more profitable for a channel partner or an enterprise IT professional who's looking to expand their presence in the public cloud, Microsoft Azure. Okay. So you're competing, I assume, against AWS, Oracle Cloud, anybody else out there, correct? So I would say, Carol, that Microsoft is competing against AWS, Google Cloud, Oracle Cloud, you know, they want their customers, their partners to bet on Azure. We at Nerdio have made a bet on Azure as well. So we as a company have decided uh, that we, there's a lot of opportunity with Microsoft Azure. You know, it's interesting, if you look at Microsoft Azure over the past, I don't know, 18 quarters, Microsoft has reported somewhere between 40 and 50% growth year on year of Azure, which is you know, probably a $15 billion or greater business. So there's not too many businesses in the world that are that big and are growing that rapidly. And we see just tremendous opportunity with Azure. Uh, so we've decided to bet on that as our cloud at Nerdio. Got it. So the company was founded uh, just in early 22, two and a half, you know, a little over two and a half years ago. Uh, you're in Series A, you've taken about $8 million in, in um, institutional investment. What has investors interested in Nerdio? So yeah, we, we raised $8 million in our Series A uh, at the beginning of, two, uh, of 2020. Uh, that money came from a combination of uh, places. It came from our VC partner, MK Capital, as well as Vadim, our CEO, and myself. Uh, and you know, we're, um, we're, we're uniquely positioned, I guess is the way to put it. If you think about the desktop virtualization space, 
think about how many Windows devices there are in the world right. and think of how many there are virtualized. Let's say, for example, sake, there's, there's, I don't know, a billion and a half Windows devices and some very small percentage of those are already virtualized. Mm-hmm. That gap is our opportunity. And I think uh, we've been able to really bring partners and customers of all sizes to the cloud, to Microsoft Azure, with Azure Virtual Desktop and the new Windows 365. And we're seeing just a tremendous amount of growth that really Microsoft is driving in the category in Microsoft-based desktop virtualization. And I think that's why there's a lot of folks that are very interested in what we're doing at Nerdio. Interesting. So from, you know, as we already talked about, you know, AWS, Google Cloud, Oracle Cloud. So I imagine you're focused strictly on people who are working with Azure or as you're approaching, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, uh, prospects. You know, what if somebody's already, you know, into AWS or, you know, Google Cloud or yeah. somebody else? Or do you even do you even do you even even bite, you know, bite that to say, you know, let's take a look at this or why they might want to take a look at it? We're fully focused on Microsoft Azure. So all of our mm-hmm. technology is built on top of Microsoft right. Azure. And in fact, you know, we like to say that we're built on top of native Microsoft Azure. So there's other companies that may have a more proprietary way of doing things, mm-hmm. maybe a more legacy way of mm-hmm. doing things. We're all about native Azure. Now, in the MSP space, we don't tend to see so many MSPs looking at AWS okay. or Google Cloud. And the reason is because most MSPs are already Microsoft partners. Got it. So if they're already Microsoft partners and buying things like Microsoft 365 using technologies Mm -hmm. like Office 365, it makes a lot of sense for them to continue down that path and use Microsoft Azure. Now in the enterprise, uh, it could be a little bit different. You know, enterprises sometimes bet on a multi-cloud strategy, uh, but where we engage is in the area that they want to invest in Azure. And we're happy to invest alongside them in helping make their Azure experience, their AVD experience, their Windows 365 experience significantly easier and significantly more profitable. Okay. That, I mean, that, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, you want to stay in the ecosystem. It's like, you know, me with all my Apple stuff, right? I want to stay inside the Apple ecosystem. It makes my life a whole lot less angsty. <laughs> I think it's also, Carol, that, you know, I, I, when I worked at Microsoft, I was at Microsoft for 23 years. Yes. And I had a, uh, a manager there, a guy named Terry Myerson, who was, who was great. And he, um, and he said, you know, you have to win somewhere before you win everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think as a startup, you do, you have to win somewhere before you win everywhere. You have to bet on something that, you know, you could be uniquely Correct. good at mm-hmm. and be very, very successful. I think, you know, companies that just spread their bets too thin. I mean, maybe some are successful, but I think it's it's much harder. Yeah. Well, and 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 you know, you you have just hit on Joseph one of the one of the common denominators among successful startups, right? One is actually finding that there is a need and filling that need. You know, and the other is 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 you know, it, as you termed it, not spreading yourself too thin, really focusing in the area of that need before you even consider going somewhere else, right? Yeah, there's there's year, there's years of opportunity for us to, uh, ahead of us, for us to add value into the Microsoft Azure ecosystem. So we're going to keep being the best in the world at that. And, and you also, you you know, as you said, and, and we talked about, you also do virtualization. So let's talk about your, you know, the competitive nature of that business. Of course, you know, I, I immediately think of VMware, right? 
Um, but tell me a little bit about the competitive nature of that side of your business and what you're doing to rise above that. Yeah, thanks, Carol. Certainly on the enterprise side, our two biggest competitors are VMware and Citrix. And those are two companies that are undergoing a tremendous amount of change now. Citrix being bought by uh, private equity, Mm -hmm. VMware being bought by Broadcom. I think a lot of their clients are probably questioning what's happening in the future, what's going to happen with technology innovation at those two companies. We've seen significant layoffs. Certainly at Citrix, we see all you have to do is spend time on LinkedIn every day and uh, you, you just see people departing left and right. Mm-hmm. We have a different sort of take on the market, I think, than those two companies. As I said, we're all about native technology. We believe that that organizations want to be as native as, impo- as possible, and they don't want to pay 10 times more than they need to for technology. Right. So we're seeing a lot of clients come to us from both of those companies who, who want to be in native Azure, and they want to reduce uh, their monthly costs. So, uh, you know, the the phrase I use is drop the dinosaur, get the goat. You know, that's, there's, there's a lot of legacy technology out there yeah. that people want to get rid of. Yeah. So we think it's time to drop <laughs> the, the dinosaur and get the goat. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I don't think I've actually ever, ever heard that. It's the new catchphrase. I love it. So as you said, and I really wanted to talk to you about this, um, you know, you got out of Brandeis in 1995 and went straight into Microsoft for the next 23 years of your career, uh, beginning in project management and finishing up as worldwide AI sales and marketing leader. And I want to talk to you a little bit about also the size of that organization. Um, But then you went to your second job, which is your current employment (laughs) in in 2018 with Nerdio. So, you know, tell, I want to, I I think we all want to hear about your journey, your journey through 23 years at Microsoft. What kept you there for that long? How large was that organization, the organization you were running versus a tiny little startup? Yeah, I actually had a third job, Carol. I shoveled snow when I was a kid <laughs> in Chicago, so that was yeah. that was something else. Yeah. But uh, but yes, I I left Brandeis after my third year at Brandeis. I was fortunate enough to get a summer internship ah, at Microsoft. Got it. You know, quite frankly, I had I had no business being at Microsoft. I uh, I didn't study anything in college that had anything to do with technology. Uh, but I got a summer internship, and then I was lucky enough to get hired back as a as a twenty three year old you know, freshly minted college graduate with a degree in liberal arts. And I just started doing jobs and I started learning and I, and I had some great mentors along the way. Uh, I had an individual who I'm still in touch with, uh, unfortunately, not frequently enough named Carl Gulledge, who used to say to me, you know, help empower other people to be successful and they'll empower you to be successful. And I think it was through finding different mentors uh, and being very lucky to have individuals put me in jobs and take bets on me. You know, the first person who did was, was a guy named Rick Thompson, uh, who, who led the organization that I first joined. I was a a product manager Mm -hmm. from the Microsoft mouse and the Microsoft keyboard. (laughs) Uh, and he took a bet on me when probably a lot of other people wouldn't have. And I just sort of tried to stack one success on top of the other and, uh, and, and continue learning Mm -hmm. and continue moving on. Someone told me once that your initial years at Microsoft, you should just view it as sort of the continuation of your college career. You're just taking more classes and you're mm-hmm. eventually trying to develop a master's and a PhD right. in some subject. Uh, I think the big sort of break for me, if you will, or the big aha moment was I had a, I had a manager named John Pereira who went over to work in Europe 
And he said, you know, I think you'd really like uh, the, the whole abroad work. So my, my first job working abroad was I moved to Munich and uh, I was running the server and tools business for Microsoft in Central and Eastern Europe. So we had, you know, product managers and, and folks all across 20 some odd countries of Eastern Europe, you know, Russia, Czech Republic, Estonia, Bulgaria. Uh, and I drove that business and it was really my first time living abroad for work. And, and I learned a lot. I grew, I grew, you know, professionally, certainly, but also I grew personally. Uh, and learning how to get things done, going to a bank in Germany, going to a grocery store where you don't speak the language, having to get gas in your car, things like that. So I really got hooked by that. I felt that that was something I could be uniquely good at doing sales and marketing outside. I sort of had this, this um, knowledge of Microsoft corporate headquarters that I could maybe bring into Microsoft's field. And uh, you know, sort of through that, I, I lived in Munich for a while. I lived in Moscow for a bit doing the same thing. I lived in the Czech Republic uh, for a bit as well, really all because people gave me opportunities. And, and I then came back to the U.S. Uh, to do a job for a bit, and I missed it. I missed being abroad. And the next abroad assignment I did was in India, leading Microsoft's evangelism team. And we had a team of about 65 people or so just going around India and talking to developers and IT professionals and students and startups about, you know, how to stay with the Microsoft platform. And and it was certainly one of the most fun jobs I had. Living in India is, is comes with its own challenges, but again, a, a just tremendous personal growth and tremendous professional growth. And I went from there to Brazil. You know, in Brazil, I was leading marketing and operations, and I showed up in Brazil as the president was getting ready to be impeached as the largest uh, corruption scandal in the country, something known as Lava Jato, was starting. Uh, the, the currency devalued by 70%. So, you know, there's a lot to learn through difficult times, right? Adversity is one of the best teachers you could have. Yeah, and I agree. Uh, I spent three years in Brazil. Mm -hmm. Tremendous opportunity, tremendous learning, not always being successful. I would say that I, I was certainly not my most successful years as a performer at Microsoft. But again, I think I learned a lot. And then after I, I repatriated, I got into this role uh, where, where the team was really designing programs for our field around uh, artificial intelligence and things like machine learning and bots and things like that. And after about five months, uh, I was introduced to Vadim Vladimirsky, who's our CEO. He was running a managed service provider. We met at Microsoft's partner conference, Microsoft mm, Inspire. Right. Uh, and we hit it off really well, and I decided to take the tough decision to leave Microsoft and partner up with Vadim, and that's how I got to my second job. But, I, but I'll tell you, Carol, I have nothing but amazing things to say about the experience at Microsoft. I always viewed it as not one job, yes, but many jobs. I would agree. I, I mean, was able to kind of, yeah, I reinvented myself mm -hmm. every few years, you know, and, and I think if you can do that, in whatever company you're in, you'll you'll assuming you you do a good job, you'll you know longevity will follow you. It'll just be sort of natural that you'll stay going because you'll keep learning and you'll keep growing and you'll keep having amazing new experiences. No, I, I completely agree. And you know, if I look in you know the olden days when I was still doing search work, I you know when I would bump into somebody like you that had spent you know virtually their entire career with one company, that was also the common denominator. You know, why did you stay here so long? Well, because I kept getting new opportunities to grow, to learn, to develop, to develop as a human being, to develop as a leader, so on and so forth, right? Um, but but I want to know what, 
What the biggest challenge moving from such a mammoth organization to a small company with, you know, now 70 employees has been for you? I mean, that's cult. It's cultural. It's infrastructure. There's a lot there that's very, very different. That was by far the number one question I got during the interview process. You know, so our, so our investors mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time going through that with me. How are you going to be successful, right. Joseph, moving from Microsoft, mm-hmm. which has every resource, uh, to a company that has very few resources, right? Uh, and, and you know, there were times during the interviews where I said things like. And you know that I moved to India and I figured out a way to crawl around India and be successful there. I sort of feel like I could be successful doing that, you know, at a smaller company. But but, you know, specifically, Carol, I would say um, there's there's, of course, the initial shock that you're moving from a company that has endless numbers of people that can help you do things to a company where you're really starting at the beginning and doing everything yourself. Right. Uh, and and that could be you know, it could feel lonely. It could feel challenging. But if you get excited by those kind of things, it's a huge opportunity because you have the opportunity to craft things the way you want it. You know, I sort of looked back at my career at Microsoft and thought, you know, how many times was I able to really own something and run it like I own it? That's a hard thing. I I, I got advice from uh, an old manager, a good friend of mine, Tyler Bryson. He used to tell me, run it like you own it. And, And I would try to do that. And there are times I could do that and other times I couldn't. Uh, so at Nerdio, I, I do run it because I do own it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really gratifying and it's fun to do that. Um, I also think that when you move to a company, the size of Nerdio, particularly at the beginning, you have to get used to, to being very even keel. You have to sort of let the successes and the disappointments not swing you too far in any direction. You know, I, the example I always give is when you're on a boat, you know, people tend to sometimes want to run from one end of the boat to the other. Well, if you're in a small boat, you're going to capsize, right? right? And I think it's the same way. As quickly as you get excited by something that's happening at Nerdio, as quickly as I get excited by that, you could quickly get very disappointed by something else that's happening. And and you can't let it affect you that much, particularly as we started building out our organization. And we have people in my organization that are also maybe new to working at startups. You know, you have to create an environment where, um, where, where they're able to feel like we're going to keep growing, we're going to keep going, and, and adversities aren't going to knock us off our path. So I think those are a few of the of the challenges that I saw moving. For, almost nothing compares to Microsoft. I no. can't imagine really anything in the world mm-hmm. compares to Microsoft. But what I tried to do was take the learnings that I had at Microsoft and apply them in the best way I could to Nerdio, and I'm continuing to learn every day. So uh, how many employees were there when you joined the company? So when I joined the company, I joined a company called Adar. Adar was a managed service provider that Vadim, our CEO, founded in Chicago about now about 15 years ago, uh, and and he successfully ran and built it into an amazing managed service provider. Uh, So when I joined the company, you know, they, they had some number of employees, 30 or so employees. I don't remember the exact mm-hmm. number. And then Vadim and I took a decision uh, to sell Adar and focus fully on Nerdio uh, because we had we always had these kind of, you know, where should we spend our time? Should we be growing the MSP or should we be growing our software business? You know, where do we apply our marketing mm-hmm. resources? Mm-hmm. Are they applied towards the MSP or are they applied towards the software business? And I think as Vadim and I sat down and talked about it, we we felt that we wanted to devote all of our energies towards Nerdio. 
so we we sold the MSP to a private equity organization at the beginning of 2020, and simultaneously we founded uh, Nerdio and raised our Series A. And uh, at the time, some of the employees from Adar came over to Nerdio, and some stayed managing right. Adar. But at the beginning, you know, we had um, you know, including developers and all kinds of folks, we probably had you know 20, 25 people or so. Which is a lot when you first and, start a company, but, you know, given the was, circumstances, we yeah, makes sense. We were lucky. We had, you know, the, the circumstances were a bit different. It mm -hmm. wasn't starting from, you know, Scratch. from nothing. Yeah. We were fortunate that we had knowledge, you know, and, and particularly as we were starting by creating software to sell to a managed service provider, we came with this sort of tremendous background in the managed service provider world where we could test out a lot of our theses on, you know, what, uh, you know, on an actual MSP, right? Um, so we started, you know, with about 2025, we're up to about, I don't know, 75 or so. But uh, I, I, I always, when Vadim and I talk about Nerdio and we talk about constraints, that's a term that Vadim loves to use. To be honest, I don't know that I really ever used the word constraints when I was working at Microsoft. I don't know that we had that many constraints in our business, but constraints is a word that Vadim and I talk about all the time. You're just naturally constrained by things mm -hmm. when you're at a startup. Uh, and, I, and I think Vadim and I both believe that our biggest constraint is hiring great people. Yeah, right. That's it. Yeah. That's, uh, hiring great people. Yeah. And I know you and I talked yep. about this, Carol, before. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such an important topic. I, I spend every day talking to people, recruiting, mm -hmm. re-recruiting existing employees. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the market out there today, as we record this today, is is complicated. It's tough. <laughs> you know, there's, there's sort of uh, more jobs to be had than there are people in the technology industry right now across all aspects of technology. So if you as a company are not always out there looking for people, finding what's out there, you know, um, re-recruiting your own employees to make sure they're yep. happy and productive at Nerdio, you're not going to succeed in it. And it by far is our number one constraint to continuing to grow the business is how fast can we hire and train and get productive, great people. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I just finished the final touches on an article that specifically talks about the importance of continually recruiting, <laughs> right? The, import, yeah. the importance of that. So that's uh, that's very, a very timely, I mean, it's not only timely, it's, it's really a, I would say, a perpetual topic that people need to be talking yeah. about. Since you're on, since you started talking about hiring, let's, let, let me delve into that a little bit more. So you're up to 70 employees. Tell me a little bit about your challenges in hiring great people, where, what you find those challenges to be. So, so I've borrowed a concept from the CEO of Snowflake, Frank Slootman, yeah. that he calls, you know, essentially drivers and passengers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if, you, if you've read anything about Frank Slootman, he has a new book out called Amp It Up. That was the name of an article that he wrote uh, on LinkedIn some years ago. And, and he had, he had um, been the CEO of two very yes. successful companies, and now a third, Snowflake. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I read his book and I listened to a few of his interviews and I was really very, um, very moved by what he talks about drivers and passengers. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I believe that, um, you know, so again, I don't want to take any credit for this. This is not my term. This is his. But, but I really believe that to be at a startup, you need to be a driver. Mm -hmm. You just need to be. You need to, you need to come to work every day and just sort of unleash yourself on the problems that a startup has. Right. If you're the kind of person that's going to kind of sit on the bus and look out the window and be a passenger, it doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to do good work. It doesn't mean you're not necessarily going to do work mm -hmm. that the company needs, 
But I don't think that long term you're going to be very successful because the right. pace that we're moving at at, at Nerdio is, is relentless. Mm-hmm. It just keeps coming and coming and coming because the opportunity is so tremendous. Yeah. And as a result, I think you need to be a driver. And you know, dri- you sort of know a driver when you see a driver. There are these people that you just don't want to put in a box. You don't want to put a leash on them. You want to unleash them and let them mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Frank said in, in one of his interviews, they're, they're kind of the people with a little bit of unresolved issues. And, and that's good. You know, they're people that aren't motivated by rank or title. They just want to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And and I tend to find that those kinds of people are incredibly successful. And I think people make the mistake sometimes, Carol, in thinking that a driver is a, is a type A person who jumps up and down on his or her chair screaming at the top of their lungs. That's not it. We have drivers at Nerdio who, who are some of the more understated people, yeah. who are some of the people who are the quietest at Nerdio, but they are incredibly effective at driving things forward. And I would say that you know the biggest challenge that I've experienced in terms of hiring uh, at Nerdio is, is not coming to a good perspective during the interview as to whether or not the person is really a driver or a passenger. If I had to look at the people who I've hired, and I've hired plenty of people at Nerdio mm-hmm. who have not been successful, and ultimately that's my accountability, right. I would say that the, the common thread is that they were passengers. They're not drivers. Uh, and that's on me, and I think it's right. on all of us who interview. And I'm not saying that that's the criteria every startup should use right. or every company should use, but I think that works well for what we're trying to build mm-hmm. at Nerdio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm out there all the time looking for drivers. Right. Well, and that's, you know, what, what he has termed is something I've said for more years than, than, you know, more years than, than, than I can, I can remember is it's the same thing as being just proactive, right? right. Um, rather than sitting around and letting things, you know, we, we all have circumstances in life, all of us, how it doesn't matter how rich, how poor, how fat, how thin, you know, whatever that is, wherever you come from, we've all got circumstances. The question is, are you going to manage your circumstances or are you going to let your circumstances manage you? Right. And, and, and I think that's, you know, we, we say it and we may say it in a different way, but it really all boils down to that. So what have you learned in your interviewing Joseph to, or have you, have you cracked the code to figure out who's who? I wouldn't say I've cracked the code, that's for sure. Um, I, I've certainly learned uh, a few things. I've learned that in this world that we're living in now where everybody's remote, mm-hmm. uh, you have to do video interviews. You you just, you learn a lot by looking at somebody. There's no question about it. Uh, so I insist on that. I insist on doing video interviews because you just, you see people's reactions. You, you understand um, how, how they're thinking about a question you're asking them. Uh, so that's kind of one thing. Uh, I like to talk to people a lot about, you know, not not the list of jobs that they've had, but what are the accomplishments and what is the impact that they've made in those jobs? And, it, and quite frankly, it doesn't really matter th- the specific company they worked for. In some cases, maybe it does. Uh, but in other cases, I, I really want to understand what their impact was. How do they quantify mm-hmm, mm-hmm. their impact? Did it? Did, were they able to look in the mirror at the end of the day, at the end of the week and say, it, I made a huge difference by being right. at this company. And how would I define that? And if someone comes to an interview and they're more interested in just listing out a bunch of things that they did mm-hmm. that may not have moved the organization right. forward in any measurable way, then I think it's going to be hard for them to be successful at a startup like Nerdio. 
I, I also like to look for people who are risk takers. Maybe that term is overused a little bit. I don't know. Uh, but, but, you know, I find that at Nerdio, you know, a challenge of mine with the team is to encourage people to take more risks. You know, people don't get fired for taking risks unless they do something that's just right. illegal you know, right. or immoral, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best learning you have is when you take a risk and it doesn't work and you learn why. And we've tried many, many things at Nerdio. I've tried many things at Nerdio that have been failures. But I'd like to think that we've tried some things that we weren't sure they were going to work and they've they've been spectacular. And people who are not willing to take chances uh, you know, are, are, I think also not going to work out. I'll give you an example. So we have an annual user conference, a partner conference that we call NerdioCon. Uh, and, and we were going to run it, uh, we were going to run it in person, but then the, the pandemic came, we did the first one virtually, but I decided that last year we were going to run it in person. Right, good. Uh, and we, and not only that, we decided we we're going to do it in Mexico, in Cancun, because every event in our space was taking place in either Dallas, Las Vegas, or Orlando. And I think people are sick of going to those three cities as much as they're fine. I live in Orlando, but people just don't want to go to another conference in one of those places. So I said, we're going to do it in Cancun, Mexico. So I remember the discussion with our board of directors and our, our regular meetings. I just want to let you know, we're doing NerdioCon this year. It's going to be live in person in Cancun. I got some looks, you know, from our board members that were a bit odd. They're like, Joseph, you know, do you realize there's a pandemic going on? This was before, this was before Omicron, <laughs> No, you, right? but you've had your head in the sand all this time. <laughs> right, right. This, this, is before, this is before Omicron. People were, I mean, I was sort of feeling like maybe things were starting yeah, to wind yeah, yeah. down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I said, no, you know, I think in talking yeah. to MSPs, I think people want to get back in person. They want to do it, you know, so that so and and there's obviously there's a cost to us to do this. Right. So we uh, we we took the decision. We did it about three weeks later. The Omicron thing popped up. I was sort of thinking to myself, well, maybe this wasn't such a great idea. It turned out to be one of the best conferences in the MSP space last year, uh, all because I think the team and I don't take credit for this myself, the team decided to not just take risks but but try new things and work hard and make it and 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 you know impose our will on the event say this is going to be a great event we are going to figure out how to make sure that we do this in a safe way during covid in a way where people feel comfortable coming to the event and now you know we're going to do it again uh in 2023 and we're going to double the size and we're going to keep raising the bar right so i think you know when you interview people seeing if they if they are able to um, be the kind of person that will come in and and take risks. And then finally, Carol, I'd add one other thing, which is more and more as as I've gotten older, I've started to interview for what I call the generosity gene. Yeah, I, I think that people need to be generous uh, with their time, primarily preaching to the choir you know, here. Not, it's yeah. Not, yeah, it's it's not all about you mm-hmm. at a startup. It's about making the startup the company successful. In our case, it's about making Nerdio successful. And and if you're a generous person, you will do everything you can to help others be successful, to help your direct reports, your peers, your manager. You'll just do anything you can to help them be successful because it's going to help Nerdio be successful. So I, I always like to see if I could tease out, you know, that generosity gene, that trait that people have of of, of times in their life where they gave something of theirs to somebody else 
when there was really no reason for them to do it other than they're just a generous person. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a mitzvah, right? So, with all of that, Carol, I'd say I'm still, I don't think anyone's 100% successful on interviewing, but no I'd like to is. think that we've done a little better, you know, right. since uh, we started. Listen, I, 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 I think, I don't think, it, it is important that we understand that we, we are always striving to be better, right? So if you're, if you're, I mean, what would you say your percentage of hiring successes have been in this, in this role? With uh, radio? Wow. I mean, you, are it's, you under 80, it's under 50%. It's, no. I, I think, I don't know if it's under 50%. I haven't looked at the data. There was a time certainly at the beginning where it was under 50%. Okay. I think we've, we've certainly improved on that. Oh, Good. Uh, it depends how you define success, right? Well, I mean, is success the person contributes to the company for an extended period of time? You know, then we have a lot of examples of that. Um, but we've also had to, you know, fire fast right. on some people because we just, we just knew right away mm -hmm. that they weren't a driver, mm -hmm. that it was missed in the interview and, uh, they weren't going to work right. out. And listen, I can't define what your success is. Only you can define what you, what you see that as. Right. So, right. so, I mean, if you are moving in the direction upward, then you are moving in the right direction, right? To improve your performance around, around hiring, around retention, around whatever that might be, you know, um, um, leadership development and, and executive leadership and all, whatever that might be for you. It's, it can be different for every company, right? Yeah. So, so, right. You know, it's it, it's interesting that that you know you talk about the the kind of the giving gene. You didn't use those words, but um, you know, one of my girlfriends and I frequently have talk about when on on the occasions that we have conversations. You know, they're givers and takers in this world, right? So, are you a giver or you're a taker? And I always find that I mean, do you have specific questions that you ask to tease those things out? Like, tell me what you do in your free time. Do you volunteer anywhere or, yeah. you know, what do you do? Uh, I do. Yeah. I, ha I mean, I have one question that I like to ask a lot. Mm -hmm. It sounds, you know, it, it might sound a little odd, but I ask people, you know, if you um, won the proverbial lottery and you had enough money to do whatever yeah. you could in the world, right? Yeah. What would you do? Yeah, I've had that I, question. I think that's yeah. incredibly telling, yeah, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and you definitely, you get people, and I guess if people are watching this uh podcast mm -hmm. now and they're going to interview with me now you know how to answer the question but <laughs> i mean i guess the good thing is there's no right or wrong answer right. but you definitely get people right. who say well i want to travel the world mm -hmm. you definitely get people who say they want to buy a house for their parents or mm -hmm. allow their parents to retire or something like mm -hmm. that you definitely get people who say they want to get more involved in charitable endeavors yes. and you definitely get people who say well i wouldn't change anything i'm just going to keep coming to work at whatever company mm -hmm. i'm at because i love it so much right. and those are all fine those are all you know, fine answers, but you, but you definitely learn a lot about someone mm -hmm. when you ask a question like that, you know, you could, you could also ask, I think a very just simple question of, you know, when have you given of yourself to somebody else? You know, tell me about your mentoring relationships. Who do you mentor? You know, a lot of times people think that mentors need to be someone wiser or older than you. And we did something in Microsoft Brazil, which I thought was really quite cool. It was we called it a, re, a reverse mentoring uh, exercise. And and maybe the, the people who, who were more senior in title at Microsoft Brazil were mentored by the recent mm -hmm. college hires. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a woman uh, mentoring me, Alini Pinheiro. It was great. I mean, she was great. She told me things about me that I didn't see. She told me things about the way I was showing up in the Brazilian culture that I had no idea about. 
Uh, and it was just an amazing opportunity where she gave of herself to me uh, and helped me get better. And I think that whole, you know, sort of mentoring topic is a very important one. I, I was very, very fortunate one time at Microsoft many years ago, I got to sit down for a one-on-one -on -one for an hour with uh, the author, Jim Collins, who I think, as you know, wrote Good to Great and many other books. And, and I, I learned a lot from that one hour. Uh, and it was quite spontaneous. So it wasn't something that was planned mm -hmm. or set up. We, we, we met and we just ended up talking for about an hour. You know, he always refers to the concept of the personal board of directors. And, and the idea that each person needs to figure out who their personal board of directors is and, and when or why you call upon certain people. Right. So, you, you know, you might say maybe your parents on your personal board of directors, maybe your manager is, maybe a previous manager, maybe a, a teacher that you had. Uh, but I, I also believe very strongly that you need to be the one creating your personal board of directors and you have to sort of seek out that you want on it. Now, these people might not know that you want them on your personal board of directors, right? There was, um, there was a person at Microsoft uh, named Eric Rutter, who was the senior vice president of server and tools when I was working in server and tools. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I knew I could learn a lot from him, but I, I was, you know, sort of not any person that was on his radar at all. But I seeked him out and I, I, I pursued that kind of relationship. And now, even until today, I feel like he's on my personal board of directors. Now, do we talk every day? No, but when I have something that I really feel he'd be uniquely qualified to help me with, I reach out to him, right? So I think that um, that 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 goes to the generosity gene as well. Like, whose personal board of directors are you on? Who are you taking time out to give back to, right. to mentor? What are your volunteer activities, mm -hmm. things like that? Not that that needs to be the dominant part of the interview or the dominant part of your life, but I think it's an important thing to see how you fit in in a culture like ours at Nerdio. Of course it does. Listen, it, it, it makes up who we are. I mean, it's just another piece that makes up, you know, who we are as human beings, right? And, yes. and, and what we find is important. You know, I've always said that, you know, especially those who have a lot more than others, I think it's really important to give back somehow, yes. whatever you choose that is. And, and, you know, it, it always, uh, you know, I don't ever confront people around that because I have people in my personal life who have a lot and they don't do any volunteer work. They don't give back to anybody, you know, and it's, un it's unfortunate. It's, it's, you know, I, I find that sad because they have so much and they have so much to give, but you know, you, you, you can't change everybody. And, uh, you know, if you're going to walk through the door, somebody's got to open it for you. That's right. You can't just That's beat right. it down and say, listen to me. <laughs> right. So what would you say are the biggest challenges, Joseph, that um, you're facing inside of Nerdio um, and in your industry? And maybe it is the hiring thing again. So we don't have to so the, beat the, so the hiring thing. Certainly yeah. is. You know, I'll always yeah. come back to that. Yeah. There's just a huge competition sure. for talent out there today. And I think finding the right people is one. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, a, a, a challenge that probably every startup leader uh, faces is just, you know, how do you run faster? How do, how do you just go faster? How do you tune the system that you're building to go fast? I think when you're starting out, and you don't have a lot of employees, and you and you quite frankly don't know what's going to work. Uh, there's a lot of testing and investing. There's a lot of trying things that that are almost guaranteed to not work. And we have a, a long list of those at Nerdio in the early days of Nerdio. 
So I think the challenge is to find the things that work and, and codify them, if you will, and say, we're doing this. You know, when we first started Nerdio, we, we just sort of sat and thought to ourselves, okay, we're trying to we're trying to reach out to MSPs. Where do MSPs go to get information? So fortunately, uh, there's this there's this great analyst. His name is Jay McBain. Uh, he was at Forrester, and now he's a canalist. And he he had this um, great map that he put together uh, that he calls "Be Visible Everywhere." And it was sort of these are all the places that MSPs go to get information. So I said, you know, if you remember the old game called Risk or you'd move your, you know, your armies in and out of these countries. I said, well, I'm going to think about this as the Nerdio armies. I'm going to look at this map that Jay drew, and I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to try to have my army everywhere, right? And by doing that and by adding the right value to MSPs and, and, and making it all about education, not as much about selling Nerdio, but about education, I'm going to sort of ingratiate myself with them, myself with them. And, uh, and be more valuable. And that's what we did. Now, there were some things we did that didn't work well, but the, but the concept of going to an event, uh, getting on a podcast, and, and talking about things other than Nerdio sometimes, just, just talking about Azure in general and why someone should build a cloud practice in Azure, that worked. Okay, it works. How do we keep doing it over and over again? This thing that didn't work, how do we stop doing that and move it off to the side you know, into the into the graveyard for maybe we'll look at it again down the road. So I think it's this whole concept of how do you iterate and move faster and faster and faster. And the, and the more you can do that, uh, I think the, the better you're going to um, to be. And then I, I think there's one other, you know, challenge. And, and our CEO, Vadim, talks about this a lot. And, and these aren't the precise words he uses, but it's, it's about not setting limits on yourself. I think if you set a limit on yourself, then it's a limit in your own mind. You know, if you say, you know, hey, we're going to double the business every year. I think it's a fast B2B company. That's a great goal. We're going to double the business every year. You know, there's definitely some people who think it's very doable. And then there's probably some people who come to work and say, well, that's going to be impossible or that's going to be super hard. But 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 it's possible. It, the market supports it. We have, you know, the, the things to support it, you know, resources to support it. What are the constraints then? What are the reasons we can't do it? I'll give you a, a funny example. At our, uh, at our sales and marketing planning meeting that I hosted in December 2021, uh, we had it in Orlando. Easy for me. I live there. People like going there. Good weather in the winter. So uh, I, I did sort of, I had all of sales and marketing, and I did the opening kind of presentation to everyone, setting my expectations of what I think 2022 should be all about. So I went back and I calculated how many events did we do in 2021? Now, 2021 was a funny year because there was COVID, events went back in person, but we did about 50 to 60 events where we showed up and we did an event. And we ran some of our own events, but 50 or 60 events. I said to the team that day, I said, I want us to, to be part of, run or participate in 290 events. So 290 events, people said, well, how's that possible? How many work days are there? in the year. Well, there's 254 workdays in 2022. Okay. So that's more than one event a day. How's that possible? People said that's about our event manager, Michelle. It was her second day at the company. She almost literally passed out in her chair. What did I just do joining this company? Right. But I said, okay, what are the constraints? What's stopping us from doing that? Is it money? Is it people? Is it content? Once you start breaking down what the constraints are, then you could quickly see how you could get from 50 to 290 or, or something else. Uh, 
Uh, we're on track to run 300 events this year, and it's possible. You know, uh, beyond your reach is really within your grasp. So I, I think, you know, not setting limits on yourself. Now, are you going to achieve every goal that you set out? Maybe or maybe not. But you're certainly not going to achieve the goals that you think are impossible. So I, I think, you know, Vadim talks about that a lot, not not limiting yourself and not not internalizing that something just can't be done. So Joseph, tell me, what does your day-to-day look like as a leader? You know, I, I learned a great lesson from a previous manager, uh, Paula Belizia, to color code my calendar. Mm, so I do I the same. For her in Brazil, yeah, yeah. And, and it's been super helpful. So yeah. she had this system where any customer or partner meeting was colored green. Mm-hmm. Uh, any internal meeting was colored red. Yeah, I love it. Yep. Uh, so she always tried to get to 70% green every day. Mm-hmm. That was her goal. Now, I, I don't know if I'm quite at 70% green, but I try to spend most of my day uh, talking with customers and partners right. because I believe that's where the truth is. Making a difference. Yeah. Uh, really, I also like to spend them, a lot yeah. of time doing one-on-ones, not just mm-hmm. with direct reports, but but even more so uh, with with my direct direct reports. Uh, because I also think that's where the truth is a lot of times. You know, people tend to to shield their manager from things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, whenever I go to a city, I was just in Denver a few days ago. Yes. I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, with two of our team members, and I learned a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I do a lot of that. I do uh, so a lot of one-on-ones, a lot of customer and partner time. Uh, and then uh, we have some internal meetings mm-hmm. at Nerdio to talk about strategy, things like board meetings and Vadim and I connect almost every day and and share things with each other. And um, that's really what I do every day. Awesome. So uh, uh, in your free time, uh, I understand you enjoy traveling, um, spending time with your family and reading your way through the New York Times uh, notable books list. What is it about the notable books that you love? So, you know, uh, some years ago, I was I was finding it challenging to find good books to read. I'd pick up something, I wouldn't like it, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. And in sort of very typical technology fashion, I tried to mm-hmm. figure out a, a way to manage this. So I said, well, if a book made it to the New York Times notable list, it, it must be pretty good. And I like literary fiction, so I decided to make a spreadsheet of every literary fiction book published uh, on the New York Times notable list from 1981 to uh-huh. present. Uh-huh. And I update it every year, and I'm trying to read my way through it. I'm about 45% of the way done. Awesome. Uh, not, I'm not doing the nonfiction. That would be a whole separate project. Yeah, sure. that I, I don't know if I finish in my lifetime. But on the fiction side, I do. Uh, so, so I've been doing that. My, so that's a big life goal of mine. Uh, and then another life goal of mine is to visit uh, every country and every place in the world. I, become, I belong to a group called uh, Most Traveled People. And uh, we have a website that essentially codifies every country, state, territory, geographically separated island group, enclave. And uh, it's a big list. And I'm trying to make my way through it. I've been to 107 countries. Wow. And uh, I keep going. So I think it's great. And people ask me why I like traveling. You know, of course, I like seeing interesting things. But I love talking to people from other places. I think you become a much more diverse and a much more aware person Mm -hmm. when you talk to people from another country, another place and Mm -hmm. understand what it's like for them uh, in that place. And and I feel Mm -hmm. as a result, I've lived in different places for sure. And I've gotten that in a very heavy dose. But uh, I very much like going to new places and meeting new people. Helps you empathize, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, if somebody that's listening to this is you know, excited about 
about Nerdio now. Um, and they're thinking, oh, gosh, they're looking for great people. I'm a great person. I'd love to go to work for them. <laughs> what what should they do? <laughs> so reach out to me directly. My email is jlandys at getnerdio.com. Uh, you could you could re- send me an email, and I'd love to talk to you, either talk to you or somebody that you know. If you don't want to reach out to me directly, you could just hit us on our website at getnerdio.com on our Contact Us mm-hmm. form. And we'd love to hear from you one way or the other. And that is J-L-A-N-D-E-S, so that uh, we don't have any misspellings. That's well, right. Well, uh, Joseph Landes, uh, uh, Chief Revenue Officer of Nerdio, this has really been a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for being with me. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Carol. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.